This is a production of Cornell University. Yeah, welcome everyone. Uh, this is the last week of the Cornell Turf Show here in, in uh, 2022, our third season, episode 18. We're, we're wrapping up, yeah, three years of this, Frank, um, which started as a, as a pandemic sort of outlet has now turned into a, a series. And our guest today, talking golf turf, is Dr. Ben McGraw of Penn State. Um, little does Ben know, we don't actually want to talk turf with him today. We, Frank's probably just going to rub the Yankees uh, record in, in his uh, face for 30 minutes, but we'll see if that happens. It's over. It's over for the Red Sox. It's oh, it is. I, time. I, I, I'd said that from day one. They made no moves in the offseason. So. He, can, he can get ready for football then. He'll, he'll be rooting for the Patriots in a couple I still months. got the Celtics. I hate I NBA. I actually grew up a Lakers fan because my dad oh, loved the Celtics. So, oh. I mean, I watched the most amount of NBA basketball I've watched in three decades the other night which was about two quarters <laughs> traveling I, I noticed that traveling is not a thing anymore I had to look it up in 2018 they changed the rule that you can have a gather step that was the gather step the gather nobody step. on the offense was inside the three-point line so people must be putting up outrageous rebound numbers that's I mean it was just like I had been transported to a whole new world oh so gosh I mean you've long touched the on short. a nerve with Carl data and the NBA forget it he's Darryl, he's our local Daryl Morley what's that guy from the Rockets that oh Morey well now he's the 76ers but yeah yeah okay listen that. I'm gonna go because you guys keep talking we're not gonna get anything done here this morning so let me <laughs> welcome everybody uh to the to the slideshow here uh for those of you watching uh the webinar watching live always happy to have you those on the podcast uh always appreciate it yeah carl three week, three years in and this is a great shot of odessa new york native uh russ myers shop operation there at, at the pga championship in southern hills russ has had an enormously storied career i'll brag about him because he's a local kid like 15 minutes from where we currently live. Um, you know, was that a, a Cobleskill grad, went to Augusta National for a decade, was, uh, I think, in line there, and then went to Card Sound for a while, to Southern Hills, and then a little joint called LA Country Club, where he worked on a redesign with Gil Hance there, uh, and now is back at Southern Hills. Um, Probably, uh, you know, the worst part of this, he had to give up his Miami Heat tickets when he left Card Sound. I think he had Laker tickets as well, but he's really doing it right. Look at that screen setup he's got there for the volunteers. So it should be a, a great weekend of golf. And I, I, for one, am sick of hearing about uh, Phil Mickelson and his ridiculousness myself. Okay, it's hot. Oh, my God, it's going to get hotter. And the dogs are feeling, and I know all of us with dogs, the three of us have them. Um, you know, you got to take care of these guys and gals uh, in the heat. You, you do not want them out there without water. Uh, of course, most of them are probably jumping in ponds anyway, drinking as much as they want. So no worries there. And also just a note, you know, I saw this tweeted the other day. It's a project that we worked on a little bit in a couple of remote sites with some client research. Uh, putting these mats down over sod and letting them grow right through it has been an excellent tool for the end of cart paths. Uh, we've seen this work in a lot of places. I've seen it work in concert venues at Bethel Woods. I've done it there. We've done it on a park at Brookfield Place next to the 
9-11 Memorial. Uh, the mats have worked in these narrow openings there. A really excellent uh, hot tip there, Carl, as I pass it to you for your, oh, before I do, last week, uh, I got to attend the defense of currently now Dr. Michael Beckin. And those of you watching live or watching the video, you can see our, our former Cornell guy, Doug Soldat, his major professor to his right. Way over to the other end, Paul Koch, the renowned uh, turf pathologist at UW-Madison. And there I am uh, just uh, holding my own with all these wonderful scientists where Michael got to de defend his thesis. And Carl, I think your tip of the day gets into Michael's work. Very excited about this. Let's hear it. Yeah, so, so it's not one of the sexier things we talk about, Frank, but, but documenting your use of resources on the golf course is really important, and especially for the future with, with climate change, with a very fluid sort of regulation environment. Um, it's important to keep track of, of how much water you use, how much fertilizer you use. Uh, and we've done a little bit with this in, in our RIT project. We've developed a template, uh, drought management, uh, nutrient management template. And it's real simple. It's these four pages. Uh, it, it's a lot of uh, question and answer, fill in the blank. And, and a lot of times when you hear drought management plan, you think of writing a whole 20 page document, having to kind of come up with that yourself from scratch. We prompt you to, to put all this information in. You could fill it out. It, it takes maybe 20 minutes. And that can serve as your drought management or nutrient management plan. So you can hand that off to your, to your owners, to people who, who are uh, maybe in a regulatory environment and say, here, here's my plan. And you can learn all the information that way. Uh, one of the other reasons this is important is, is because of Michael's work. So Frank, you just came from uh, his defense. Uh, essentially what Michael's done is come up with a way to figure out how much a golf course should use based on the soils, based on where the golf course is, the, the turf varieties. How much water should they use? Fertilizer, energy, right? Like carbon emissions, gasoline, electricity, uh, pesticides. And he's found a way to, to literally quantify all that. And there's a lot of equations. And I was reading through the thesis yesterday and it's, <laughs> it's, it's a minefield in there. But the bottom line is he's developing ways to, to figure out how efficient are we as a golf course. If I do X amount of rounds and I use this much water, is that efficient? Is that good for my uh, area of the, of the country? Is it bad? Um, so Michael has investigated this. I, I'm really excited to kind of dig into that and figure out how we can maybe uh, get this data into superintendents' hands and give them some information. Hey, in, in your area, you should be using about this. Yeah. Uh, and that's where this documentation of your resources comes into play. Doing it for a couple of years here. I know it's, it's not a sexy thing, but in, in five years, 10 years, maybe it's going to be really valuable that you can look back and, and see how much you use. Yeah, no, no doubt, Carl. And I got to tell you, I put it into the category of uh, benchmarking, mm -hmm. right? I think one of the things we lack sometimes in this business is, you know, how am I doing compared to last year? Of course, we all pay attention to budget and, you know, depending on where you are, maybe you measure actual water. Uh, but I think a lot of things don't get benchmarked as much as they need to be. And I think this is what the, the quantifying generation that's coming behind us uh, guys like me, Ben, you're younger than me. I'm the old guy. But I think this is going to come as generations continue to advance uh, in this business and pressures from regulatory and uh, environments and questions about usage and, you know, what is going on, improving transparency uh, of the management out there. So, Carl, let me get into the weather because we got a bunch of insects to talk about with this guy. 
moving forward. And some of it has to do with the way we look at the weather. So you can see just as predicted, really hot uh, to the north and inland a little bit, uh, 12 degrees above normal in many areas. It certainly felt like that throughout much of upstate New York. Uh, ben was not as warm as we were out there in State College, but as you got down to the south, you can see two degrees below normal now, still two degrees below normal, it was plenty warm. And uh, you can see what this is doing now is it's starting to level out the growing season uh, across the region. You know, the coastal areas, southern areas got going, uh, got ahead a little bit, and the northern areas were falling behind. And now we're starting to see everybody starting to be right around a week uh, of normal, uh, some even starting to creep ahead. And we would expect that to continue a little bit over the weekend as we're expecting a surge of heat uh, over the weekend. We heard this morning as much as 20 degrees uh, above normal for a couple of days this weekend. And you look at the growing degree day accumulation. I mean, we were pressing to get 20 or 30 a week just two weeks ago. And now you're looking at 120 to 140 in the Philadelphia area in Southern Jersey and through where Rutgers is. So things are gonna get uh, hot. Uh, really quick. Now, that's, of course, where we are now with soil temperatures. Everybody looks pretty solid in the mid to upper 50s, depending on elevation, and, and, and well into the 60s. And the heat surge expected over the weekend is certainly going to drive uh, these numbers up quite a bit. Rainfall-wise, about everybody got about a half to an inch uh, region-wide. But you look along the Cape, uh, and Martha's Vineyard, the east end of Long Island, they were a little bit behind. Uh, they didn't get as much rainfall out that end, maybe closer to a quarter inch or less. Of course, further north, where they might have needed it, got quite a bit uh, up and way upstate in the Adirondacks, northern Vermont, New Hampshire. Um, now, well, the thing that's fascinating is you start to see ET, ET vapotranspiration reach into the inch and a quarter range in the Adirondacks, uh, in the Finger Lakes region. Uh, and you're certainly much less in the Metro New York area in the half to three quarters of an inch. So depending on where you are, uh, you know, how much ET, how much rainfall you got, you look at where we were precip minus ET, and you can see a lot of people are ahead of normal. Uh, the warmer spots, uh, the drier spots are out Western New York and along the New England coast. Uh, inland, Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, Boston area, really looking dry and, and really not looking for that much uh, improvement, maybe a slight improvement inland and along the coast, maybe a little bit half to one inch. So enough rainfall coming over the weekend uh, to keep things going, which is perfect timing for a growth surge. But it also is perfect timing as we start a conversation about pest management. And you look at our forecast website, you see the you know, the usual suspects this time of May, uh, foliar anthracnose, dollar spot risk levels really high, uh, starting to pick up certainly as the rainfall comes and the heat comes. So this, this is risk in about three days from now. So we're looking at Saturday, Sunday risk uh, across the weekend. And the thing that is a bit alarming is brown patch, which really needs much higher temperatures to get triggered in addition to the persistent leaf wetness. Uh, you really started to see it surging uh, into the Metro New York, Philly, uh, Harrisburg area, 
you got to watch out. I'm not sure I'd go out and spray preventatively because you're certainly going to grow pretty well. But certainly to the southern end of the region, I'd be a lot more concerned, uh, even about brown pat, something that we don't normally consider. Now, all I'd say is you couple that with a growth surge. And if you got a lot of ryegrass in particular, uh, that will be really susceptible to brown patch or a growth surge on older tall fescues that might not have much brown patch resistance. Uh, I keep an eye out uh, for those things moving forward. Now, just to add one more thing, our forecast website, in addition to the daily risk, we do a lot of predicting and also looking back. So you can start to see now that over the next several days, you're moving into a period of really high stress. This is the kind of models that we can look at, you know, they, they give you context, but they're not always, you know, they're not going to be exact. It's going to give you some ideas. And I know Ben has some thoughts about this. And there he is. Uh, <laughs> I remember Ben uh, teaching my kid uh, to drive. I believe this is, is this your daughter, Sadie? That is my daughter, Sadie. It's so great. It's so I mean, great. So at the research farm, no less. So uh, okay, all right. So so, but but there's so many things to unpack here. First off, you gotta love the look, right? She's just got the look totally down here, Ben. But more importantly, what is that thing on the dash? Is that some Star Wars bobblehead you got there? Is that for uh, good luck? That's Vitruvius. That's Vitruvius <laughs> from the Lego movie. So. <laughs> All right. So listen, let's get started. Um, you know, you wrote a really nice blog piece. We're going to unpack it a little bit in the greencast thing. Um, and I'm going to look at you here on the side while we're doing this. Let's start with this, right? We use this a lot. You hear me talking mm -hmm. about this stuff. You just heard me, right? We're yeah. fully transparent about this. We've always used March 15th uh, as a start date because that's where back 20 years ago, that's where a lot of the models were starting to accumulate. I mean, as we were getting them in turf, that's what they meant. So let's start there. Um, what would you tell people? What kind of advice would you give people about paying attention to growing degree days, when to start accumulating, and how to even get calculated? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. So the the blog post that you're talking about was uh, for Syngenta Weedle Track. Blog. Yeah, the Greencast place. Great, yeah, great so such big shout out. You know, I'm not I'm not selling chemical for Syngenta. But that is exactly the kind of resource I think people should be using. And I know yeah. you do too. It's, uh, you know, and we did a survey in 2017 and that that was the most popular means of um, scouting. I get it's not really scouting, but uh, determining when you're going to make your applications for annual bluegrass weevil. So yeah, definitely a big shout out. They've been doing it for a long time since I was in grad school. Yeah. Uh, massive, massive database. Um if you think about it in those terms, you know, over 14, 15 years of data, and we don't have a unifying model for this insect. So that will tell you some of the flaws with it as well. <laughs> so, you know, I have a pretty good understanding about when populations are going to do certain things, because, you know, this is my eighth field season here at Penn State, which is hard to believe. But, um, you know, we use a little monitor on site, these uh, spectrum technology monitors. They're not great because they don't last very long. We have to replace them frequently. And it also leads to this confusion that, you know, I think what we're talking about here now is that I have this number or I look on um, weather.com and I see we're at 10,000 growing degree days and you're saying we're at 400, you know, what, what's going on? So we're not really even speaking the same language. Um, and with new technology coming on board, it's like, 
uh, you know, maybe it's time to strip it down and, and, and eliminate it. But, you know, we're just so used to these What do you things. think the average guy is going to do? Can the, can the average person get away with high and low divided by two? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where we see another, I mean, not only the device that's being calculating that, but how we calculate it. So what we use is a sine curve, basically oh. the fluctuations throughout the day rather than two data points. So, okay. um, you know, it's a little bit more nuanced. So already you can see divergence right there. Okay. Um, so the average person is probably using like a weather.com or, um, you know, one of these online services or I know Michigan State has a great one for yeah, grass, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah they, got G, they got the GDP tracker, which we, which we regularly refer to here. Uh, yep. it, it sort of unifies things in that we, we get to talk about heat and the development of insects. So let's start with, yeah. we got a few things to do. So we, we're not going to kill this. I got ants, I got worms, I got crane flies. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. But this is, of course, the big question. And, you know, you're so great about tweeting stuff out for those of us that, you know, I get out in the field too. So I have a little bit of an advantage, but if you're not out, it's good to have this. So let's start with, you know, right now where we are, how did slow spring development, particularly up north here? I mean, I think John Hoyle at Corning is just treating compared to what you call more tropical populations. Yeah. Let's start with how this is all these slow things are helping affecting moving reproducing egg laying and application time yeah so insects are cold-blooded that's the simplest way that i can put it so they're only going to be as active as the temperature allows uh we saw a lot of warm uh prior to when we started calculating growing degree days which for us is march 1st mm -hmm. uh so you know there's some questions about how did that affect them and then on the early side in those first couple of weeks you know, we might have accumulated 20 growing degree days, base 50 um, in that two week period. So not a whole lot, but there was definitely some warm period on the early side of tracking and even before tracking. And we entered this cold uh, kind of stretch where we didn't see a whole lot of things. And then we'd get these bursts of like two or three days of warmth. And then, uh, you know, I don't remember frost like what we've had this year. So uh, in really last week into this week, in earnest, really accumulating 100 growing degree days in a in a weekly period is is pretty good, and and I would say we're going to continue on in that trend. And then Friday. So what's Saturday, happened? What I heard, they marched out with that heat you're talking about, uh -huh. and then they sort of stood there, like okay, okay, okay. Well, now yeah. what? And I, you know, Olga was suggesting in one of her writings that that might intensify some of the feeding and the egg laying. It also might help you target an application if they're all in one place. You can take more of them out at once. Is that what you saw? And uh, are you worried that that might be make the injury worse because the feeding is so concentrated? Yeah. So I mean, they physically, physically, really can't move uh, if it's you know freezing temperatures. They just don't have the ability to move. So um, that was our concern. We saw a lot, and and this was similar to last year. We saw a lot kind of hanging out in the border on the rough side of fairways or collars. Uh, and maybe there's some micro migrations going back and forth, like it's starting to get cold. So they kind of mm -hmm. protect themselves somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, my thinking is that uh, based on what we saw for adult numbers, it's gonna be a big year anyway, mm -hmm. uh, which means 
you know, whatever happened last year, probably at the end of the year, allowed for bigger populations to mm -hmm. go in. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that, you know, the people who had a well-timed adulticide, which is one of the advantages of following Weevil Track, mm -hmm. uh, I think people really nailed it. So, you know, we do a lot of research on a lot of courses, and I also kind of monitor uh, different golf courses for them and make their decisions for them. Mm -hmm. And I would say all of those courses where, you know, if you follow the book, buy the book, you've done all right to this point. Now, I still have people who I'm on their property once a week and say, don't do anything until I tell you to do. And then they come back last week and they're like, man, I just got nervous and I put it down. So I'm seeing a lot of that, especially with new products. On well, and, 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 you know, th there's two things there. One is that's worrisome, right? Because you miss, you go back and now you, you know, that's the problem with the pyrethroids, right? Ben? I mean, we applied in the Connecticut guys were applying five in the spring, Years I'm ago. trying real hard not to swear on this podcast, <laughs> Ivy League podcast, but uh, it's absolutely insane to me in 2022 that people had made multiple pyrethroid applications prior to adult peak. I saw that in multiple places. I mean, in really where I'm at at this point, Frank, I've been in the lab since 4.30 this morning. I've got a a technician out with double pneumonia. I've got a kid oh, with COVID God. right now. It, the whole world is just kicking me in the teeth. And yet what I'm most frustrated in is that we're like regressing back to like 2008 with just like, I fear, really feel right? that it's, someday. It's, it's fear. It's, it's fear. fear. It's the fear of the unknown. And we do have some new products on the market that has created some confusion, even though I thought we were pretty solid on how to use these products. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted one from the road travel. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not dry. This is a rare day where I'm in the office slash lab. Uh, but it's just, it's kind of frustrating right now that, um, you know. This Still is, see that. Now, let, let me, yeah, you know, fear. listen, we, we, Carl and I uh, share that frustration and we curse too on an Ivy League podcast. Oh, tell me about the, uh, Tell me about egg laying, right? Because this is about now the damage is going to come from mom walking around with the eggs that Olga counts come in its gut, in her, you know, in the gut. Uh, they're going to start laying them out there. Um, we've obviously started that. Uh, a lot of the damage sometimes depends on how long that period occurs. And then number one, does heat drive that egg laying? Let's start with that. Yeah, so, and egg laying, driving it, and then we'll get to the pyrethroid resistant larvicide activity. Yeah. So one thing going back to the start, if we think of you know, and just arbitrarily the start when we start uh, collecting adults, what we did see is we saw adults were out for a very long period of time. However, I think that egg laying was really compressed. So one temperatures kind of fluctuated and we see them at the edges. And my fear is that you're going to have a little bit more edge damage because of that stopping and starting and then mm -hmm. kind of locking them in place. So one, it was good if you timed your adulticide or put out an adulticide, I think you got a big chunk of the population. Uh, two, there, there was a long period of time between emergence from these overwintering sites and when we see egg deposition. So I dissect them, I look and see if they're even physically able to lay eggs. So that bodes well, I think on many accounts, but then it kind of went really, really rapidly. And so I think we would see a lot of eggs being dropped. 
Uh, I've just evaluated a couple of trials, uh, adult timing trials, and we're still seeing that spread. You know, we've got between first and third instars right now okay. in all of our areas from Columbus to Harrisburg. And, okay, do you like some, that for timing? Do I like that? Uh, the spread out stages, I'd like to see it a little more consistent, but that, that's pretty much a normal distribution. Um, I'd say Eastern Pennsylvania to Ohio, we're averaging, you know, it's right on the cusp of the, the, the true larvicide timing. When okay, that's what I meant. Do you like it for the timing? That spread, does that, it, that makes it harder, it would seem, to get the right timing. And then there's this other thing that we talked about with Olga. If you've got pyrethroid resistant populations, those early stages may not be as susceptible or you might need a different chemistry. Can you talk a little bit about that as we're yeah, so, frustrated about too many pyrethroid apps? Yeah, I mean, definitely with too many pyrethroid apps and resistance, you start to lose efficacy on, on certain larvicides. Not all larvicides, uh, you know, I think Ferenc looks still pretty good against Very resistant populated match point, uh, which is mm -hmm. a spinosa product. It looks really good. And Suprata, the new one that you guys don't have in New York, uh, also doesn't seem to be affected. So those are, you know, those are, in my opinion, the top three larvicides that we have available to us right now. And, and the good thing is they're less sensitive to that. Um, other ones, uh, we definitely see a decrease in activity. But really the main concern I think with larvicides is timing it relative to the nuances between the larvicides. If it, they don't have residual activity and you're putting them out when those larvae are first emerging from the plant, you've got a lot more that are coming down the pipeline. And especially if you didn't control the adults, then you're going to just have continuous egg laying. And well, and I know you worry plant. about this, right? I remember I had you on the, the other podcast once. Yeah. You said, you know, that larvicide only thing is sexy, but you're going to get overwhelmed with populations. Uh, you know, I'm assuming you still feel that way, that you have to have an adulticide yeah. incorporated with a program, not just rely on larvicide. Yes? No? I do. And I, I, I don't think that there, I've, I'm going to preface all of this stuff with I've seen every insecticide fail. Everyone. Even though we've got these new and sexy things that have come out, we've seen everything fail in at least one trial. If not, you know, it's more than at least one all trial. Right. So I do think that there needs to be an approach where you combine these things. And we're looking at different things in our laboratory right now where, uh, that seem to enhance adult uh, adulticide applications where these new products might have some interest in adult activity as well. So um, I think you can do it without, you know, screwing your chances for having larvicides work. I think there's just a smart way, but you know, any of the courses that I consult with, it's we're doing one adulticide and it's in spring. That's it. After that, we're solely in the larvicide approach. So it's not that I believe that we should be spraying out these organophosphates that were developed in 1950 all year long. <laughs> what I'm saying is we got one chance where there's one stage present and we can really tighten things up and make yeah. it easier. It's so great. I mean, that's such an important message and gives me a, a good way to change to another insect in the last few minutes, Ben. Yeah. What's with this uh, Olaraceae thing? Um, is this a thing that's more of a novelty and some guys have lots of problems that eventually go away? Or is this something that's going to be on the list of things I got to worry about for the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, this one is is kind of a neat one. I mean, it, it's, uh, 
usually co-occurs with the other one, the the European crane fly, uh, Pallidosa. Mm -hmm. I'm less concerned about this one. Um, this one would be flying probably right now in upstate New York, uh, probably towards the tail end. Uh, we had we see a long emergence in flights of these guys uh, in everywhere I've lived. You know, oh, you get York, great pictures too. Yeah. Gotta, so yeah. this this was on Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> my son and I were playing golf, and then I saw perfect. On I saw that somebody your Father's on, Day gift. Yeah, I I saw some guy on Twitter say my dad. And I, when I was young, I remember driving by a golf course and my dad said to me, only the assholes in the divorce play golf on Mother's Day. So uh, I'm not divorced, so you can figure out which one I was. But had I not been playing, had I not been playing, Frank, I would not have seen this mass emergence of these And birds. I think there's an argument for the scientific value of you playing on Mother's Day. What about ant mounding? Exploded overnight. So what we saw was seed heads, uh, poa annual seed heads, dandelion appeared overnight like mm -hmm. boom and then it's everywhere same thing with the ant mounding uh last saturday we haven't seen anything which is pretty late i mean it's uh you know so that probably would have been about the 16th or the 14th somewhere in there that's pretty late for us to see ant mounding earthworm populations have been pretty slow too and i think we're gonna kind of skate through with that pest is that it's going to get really hot here and, and that's going to decrease casting. But ants, I, I suspect with this hot weather, it's just going to explode out of the ground. What do you recommend? Should, uh, I, I know it's pretty in vogue to treat the mounds, but I, I've heard other people tell me it's best to treat and try to find where the farm is and treat the adults there. Yeah, I mean, Ants are difficult to control in New York because you don't have clothianidin. I really, I mean, and I'm not tied to any company, but, mm. uh, you know, like products like Aloft that have bifenthrin, uh, you could make your own. A neonic um, pyrethroid combination is kind of what we see is the best in all of our trials. Um, some of our everywhere, spray might, everywhere, or should you target where you? I spray? think you could band. I mean, well, that's what we do in our trials, and that will shut down the mound. That's a way that you can reduce the amount of spraying. But uh, you know, the pyrethroids—if you're just using pyrethroids, and that's a common thing—they work very well, and they shut down the mound. But in mm -hmm. seven to fourteen days, those mounds are right back because all you've done is killed the workers. When they don't come back to the colony, mom just starts making more and it takes a little bit more time. Oh, uh, there is some evidence that they can sense residues and just avoid that for a couple of uh, What about baits? What about getting one of those workers to take something back to mom and uh, yeah. give it a poison pill? We don't have good baits for uh, ants in the north and this is fire ants in the south and, and even indoxicarb, which we know as Provant, you know, that's an active ingredient that does dynamite against fire ants, which are much harder to control than these guys. So mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, uh, we think that these ants sense staleness in baits and they reject them. So no kidding. Um, you know, All right, listen, listen, we're, we're at the witching hour and you said that uh, the heat uh, might affect the worms. So I thought I'd give you uh, a way to wrap up our 10th season by talking about worms, because uh, this is something that could have destroyed the golf business years ago uh, if we didn't get it under control. And without the saponins, although we did hear when there might be another one on the market, uh, this, this is becoming a big problem. And I don't want to get into the jumping worms. Let's just talk about, uh, about these things on golf courses. Well, I mean... These jumping worms are on golf courses oh. to a lesser extent, more like mulch beds and stuff. Uh, worms have, have been pretty light here in a few areas. Um, 
you know, we're, we're looking at different cultural practices to remove them. And most recently we start work on uh, electroshocking them out of the ground, which has been a real fun project with uh, some directed energy systems. So hopefully stay tuned on that. Um, as far as chemistries go, uh, you know, there are no legal means. Uh, even our saponin-based products um, need multiple applications. They're rather expensive and companies have kind of dropped them for either ethical considerations or <laughs> uh, Chinese tariffs because they're byproducts of uh, the tea industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has been challenging. We've been looking at, you know, you know, what does aeration do to these things? Can we disguise this a little bit? Can we verticut them? Do different sorts of manipulations that way as well. Uh, but yeah, no insecticide or fungicide that's going to come out in, in the next five to 10 years is likely to have any sort of activity whatsoever. So, so. So, so the answer is really on the cultural side. And Carl, let me pass it to you, see if there's questions, but I'll let you comment. This came up in the walk and talk. And I believe Steve Kerter, the president of our GCSANY uh, at Tuscarora is uh, doing something innovative. You want to take a minute and talk about that? Yeah, well, and actually John Daniels is, is with us as attendee today and, and John visited Steve. And so Steve's been thinking for a couple of years, he's got kind of ryegrass poa fairways and he sees a ton of castings and he's actually thinking about switching to bent grass, which, which anecdotally around here, and I've seen it in, in bent grass patches, you don't see the casting, but you see them in, in maybe the thinner, less dense, uh, lower organic matter grasses. I don't know if you've seen that, Ben, but is that an effect? Actually, all of our earthworm trials are done on uh, five eighths inch creeping bent grass, Crenshaw. So um, there, there could be, you know, I mean, I, I know the USGA is pushing zoysia grass really hard and I don't see issues there. So I, I kind of like where you're going with it with maybe some of these newer bent grasses, maybe more aggressive, uh, harder to get through, but they, they do just fine here um, in our bent grass. I do think we do see them on ryegrass and whether that's um, you know, lower budgets, less chemicals going out on those types of fairways or whether it's a bunch type so it allows them to come to the surface. Uh, it's just a really hard thing. Um, hopefully we're making a few strides here, but every two steps forward, we take a couple back. <laughs> and we've just taken a real couple back uh, where we were doing trials uh, on our bent grass plots here that have uh, some pretty severe casting, had a massive rainfall and uh, what came out of the ground is a new Asian invasive. So uh, not the jumping worm, but a, a green stink worm that Dan Potter's worked on for many years. Um, these things are kind of grayish black looking. If you pick them up, they'll secrete a yellow fluid that has a stench to them. Um, it's likely that it wasn't these, bad enough. Yeah, it's likely that these are going to start casting during the summer. So if you do see casting, within interiors, and these are native soils, but uh, modified over the years with sand top dressing. Um, and, you know, Potter saw it where they were constructing new uh, tea boxes where they brought dredge material from the Ohio River. So uh, something to look out for if you do see casting at a time when we shouldn't be seeing casting. Yeah. Listen, Carl, we're way past, but maybe we want to take a question. I'll just make a comment. We move soil around this country willy-nilly. And, yeah. and I, I watched this with, with the uh, crane fly, with a lot of the problems that uh, Dan Peck and then Kyle picked up on, uh, moving a lot of these organisms with soil, uh, the worms moving with soil, it's a big problem. Carl, Ben, before, it, before I take any questions, 
Thanks for joining us. And I no hope problem. life doesn't keep kicking you in the ass. There's our Yeah, I didn't know this was going to be on video. So I'm, I'm looking a little hat. I thought this was yeah. a radio production. At least I put on a shirt. Yeah, I know. That's better. Go ahead, Carl. Questions? Yeah, yeah, just one question from Blake. We'll get you out of here quick, Ben. Uh, he's heard you say in the past that uh, you like Provon and Ferentz for second generation adults. Uh, with Dersban off the market, uh, there's a lot of resistance by Reefroids. What do you suggest for the first spring adulticide? Uh, so the overwintering uh, adulticide, um, you know, it's, believe it or not, there's still people who do pretty well with pyrethroids. Um, those that don't uh, have the option for pyrethroids, that puts us in a very small category of either chlorpyrifos, which we're about to lose. Uh, and that seems to do really well. You know, people are using it for probably the last time here in Pennsylvania and still I getting think New York is done. Chunk. Yeah, I think New York is gone. Acephate is another organophosphate that could be used. Um, man, it's got a terrible stink about it. But, um, you know, talking to uh, Rod Farentino the other day when we do our weekly roundup, uh, you know, he, he's got a pretty good whack with it. So there's a couple of um, acephate products out there. Man, uh, the stink is unreal, though. At the, at, the, at the high rate, of course. Yeah, absolutely high rate. I think he was complaining that somebody didn't use the high rate and uh, got less than optimal control. So yeah. uh, those are your options. We've been doing a lot of projects. Uh, I have a student who's working on resistance and characterizing microbiomes of resistant populations. Uh, and we started to look at incorporating surfactants with our pyrethroids and really just screening different chemistries, uh, different classes of surfactants and really seeing some really interesting synergies um, and some papers have come out seeing the exact same thing on bed bugs. So I think that's a rabbit hole that we're going to go down for the next. Well, time. surfactants that encourage the spreading across the exoskeleton, right, are going to help uh, in a lot of different ways. So listen, yeah. We got to be good. This is 10 years, 10 weeks and three years of 10 weeks, Ben. And we, this is the longest we've ever gone over. Oh, man. So it's so good to see you. It's great and to see you guys. My sympathies for a really uh, lousy Red Sox season. Uh, I'll let you yeah. know how it goes. Nah, I'm feeling the pain. I'm feeling the pain. <laughs> All right, Carl. Thanks, awesome, thanks everyone, for, uh, for joining episode 18 of the Cornell Turf Show. We'll hope for a couple wins for... Uh, Ben's Red Sox. Not too many, just a couple. Maybe help him feel better. Uh, we'll see you guys. That's we'll right. see you guys next uh, tomorrow for the uh, last sports show. Take care. This has been a production of Cornell University on the web at cornell.edu.